Welcome to the Sozo Church Podcast. Our desire is to see every person know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. We hope this message inspires and encourages you today. Enjoy. We've been talking the last few weeks about this idea of good news, great joy. Good news that brings great joy um, that is in the Luke 2 story. And that good news was this, is that it was a dark season, a dark stage of, of life in this period of humanity. And, um, and God had been promising for a long time to his people that a savior would come and that this promise would be fulfilled, that, that the gift was on the way. And Israel was waiting for their promised Messiah. And they had been waiting and waiting and waiting. This was a dark time under Roman occupation. Um, a lot of poverty, a lot of brokenness. And the people were holding on to hope, just hoping, hoping, believing that God would come through and that God would deliver on his promise and that a savior would be born, the Messiah would be born, the rescuer, the redeemer would be born and would, would be the revolutionary that would flip this whole thing upside down and lead Israel to a place of victory. This was their hope. This was their belief. And in Luke chapter 2, we see that Jesus has been born. He's been born of the Virgin Mary. And um, the angels show up and, and they, they give this message to the shepherds. It says, that night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified. They were afraid. But the angel reassured, reassured them, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. For there is born to you this day the city of David, a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Who is Christ the Lord. Um, this, is, this is the beginning of the promise being fulfilled that Jesus was born and it sets us back to the nativity scene, which we're going to talk about for just a few moments today. And then at the close, don't rush off at the close of our service. We're going to light our candles and have a little moment and pray that the smoke alarms do not go off in Jesus' name. Come on, why don't you pray with me? Father, we love you so much. We thank you for uh, the promise of the Messiah, not just for Israel, but to all people. The deliverer, the redeemer, the rescuer, the revolutionary that would that would save his people. God, it's, it's Jesus that, that brings us the great joy that we need in our life. Today, I pray that you would infuse us with peace and joy and strength today as we focus on Jesus. God, we thank you that there are no great preachers, only the great gospel of Jesus Christ. We love you and we honor you today. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Come on, can we clap our hands for God's word? the nativity scene. Let's parachute into the story. Jesus has been born. If you get a chance, read Matthew chapter one or two and Luke chapter two, maybe even on Christmas day, it's a cool little thing you can do maybe with your family or with some of your friends just to read and to celebrate Jesus. But let's just imagine for a moment, let's just drop into uh, the nativity scene for a moment. You got to think about this. Mary has, um, she's been pregnant, you know, nine months pregnant, and uh, there's this census that gets called for by Caesar Augustus. And so 
her husband, Joey, Joseph, right, says, uh, Mary, listen, we've got to leave our town and we gotta, we, we got to go down to Nazareth. She's like nine months pregnant, very pregnant. And Joseph says, and, and here's our mode of transportation, a donkey. Okay, imagine that, ladies. If you were pregnant, nine months, about to pop, your husband says, I need you to, to ride a donkey for a, a long period of time to get uh, to this place. Away from her family, away from her friends. The Bible tells us, according to scripture, that it's only Joseph and Mary. And, and she's pregnant, very pregnant, and they show up to a, uh, to a place where there's, there's no room for Jesus. There's no room, or there's no room for this couple. And they show up there, and they give them this, probably like a cave, a little stable area where the animals would go and they would feed at. And she goes in there, and she has birth. And I just imagine that moment. It's just her and Joseph and this baby, this crying baby. I mean, I, I've been thinking about this a lot lately because our, our stretch is this. We have a nine-year-old and a six-year-old, and now we got another one, okay, coming. And we got another one coming. And that, I remember that first night, it's just, it's just usually, you know, the husband and the wife and this, and this baby, and the husband's usually dead asleep, you know, and the wife is over there just with this joy on her face, and she's exhausted, but yet she's, she's just so amazed at, at this precious baby. She's been waiting for nine months to see an expectancy, and now she sees this baby's face, and I just imagine that night for Mary and Joseph. They have no friends. They have no family, but the Bible tells us in the different accounts that there are people that show up um, at, at this moment. And, and you see him in the nativity scene. You see, you have, uh, you have the shepherds right over here. Uh, you have the angels. The angels have kind of been a part of the theme the whole time. Obviously, you have Mary and Joseph over here. You have a few animals here. Then you have the magi or the, uh, the wise men, as some call it. By the way, most people say there were three wise men. We don't know how many there were. Uh, we just know there were three gifts, and so people assume that. Um, and so we have the magi, the wise men there, the, the, the shepherds, the angel, Mary and Joseph, the animals, and then we have baby Jesus right there in the middle. And I just want you to think about this for a moment because I don't know if you see these a lot now. I mean, they've kind of, it seems like they're kind of going out of style a bit. But if you know the history of the nativity scene, it's pretty amazing because uh, it's, it dates back to 12, I think, 23, Sir Francis of Assisi that created this whole thing. But it was a living nativity scene. Um, he's the patron of animals, right? And so it had all these, you know, animals and stuff, and it was this live thing. And he used it as a teaching moment to be able to teach about Christ, Christ being the center of Christmas, but more than just the center of Christmas, being the center of our life, the centrality and the centricity of Jesus, him being preeminent and supreme in our life, at the center of our life. And so um, history tells us that whenever St. Francis, uh, Francis taught and he used this, that he actually, the first time he began to weep and cry at just the thought of, of our Savior being born. I was Googling some of this stuff the other day because um, I was thinking, I've heard a lot of crazy stories like of Jesus being stolen from nativity scenes, and, and I've, I've actually seen some really crazy nativity scenes. We have one at our house. It's very simple. Maybe some of you have one at your house. Very simple, very modest. Uh, but as I, was, I was, as I was looking stuff up online, I found a couple of really crazy nativity scenes. I'm, I'm hoping that they have these. Do you have some of those nativity scenes? I found a couple. Uh, this was one right here. If you can't tell what this is, these are dinosaurs 
This looks like something my, my oldest son would do. He loves dinosaurs. You have dinosaurs all coming in uh, with, with baby Jesus there. Do you have another one right here? This one. For the, this looks like something that would be in San Francisco, right? It's like we love our dogs here, okay? It's like a, a dog. This is made out of hot dogs and bacon. Literally, I found this, and I just felt like I, felt like I was sinning just seeing that. Like this just feels so wrong to have... And this right here is like, this is like the, this is a total millennial thing, right? It's the minimalist nativity scene. It's like, this is like for the really mod kind of creative nativity scene here. It's like, yeah, and then this is, this was my favorite right here. This looks like a nativity scene from the South right here, right? It's like bacon and bacon and sausage and more bacon. I'm surprised it's not fried, okay? But I I was looking at some of these nativity scenes and this was my thought. I thought, Man, oh, you got another one right there. This is for, uh, I got a little Batman up there. I love this. A little Star, Star, Star Trek, is it? Um, I, was, I was looking at this, uh, and I was just thinking, it should be illegal, uh, some of the things that I've seen online for the nativity scenes. Like, it is so out of bounds what people have done. There should be some standard. There should be some kind of rules and some kind of guidelines for this nativity scene for people to set up. It'd be very helpful. I think people could maybe start to get it right because I think there's some people that are getting it wrong, right? So I also began to look up that, and I actually found, I, I, I found this online. There's 10 steps on how to decorate a proper nativity scene. I'll just give you a few of the steps. Here, here's step, step one. Step one is place Jesus in the center. This is what it said. Step two, place Mary and Joey right around the crib looking down at baby Jesus. As you can see over here, I've organized it. Step three, place the shepherds on one side facing baby Jesus. Step four, place the magi on another side facing baby Jesus. Step five, place the angels on the right side facing baby Jesus. Step six, place the animals on either the left or the right side facing baby Jesus. I think you get the point. Um, As I begin to look at that, I notice a pattern there. It's really just two things that are really the proper way to organize the nativity scene. The first one is this, is place Jesus in the center. And the second one is this, is keep the focus on him. Place Jesus in the center and keep the focus on him. It's very simple. I think that this is a message not just for Christmas, but this is the message for our lives. Is that we place Jesus in the center and we keep our focus on him. Christocentric preaching was something that I learned in in seminary. And it's just a fancy way to say Christ-centered, Christocentric, Christ-centered preaching. I would submit to you that Christ-centered preaching is important. Christocentric preaching is important. If not, then we preach behavior modification sermons and we just tell you how to be a better person. That's not what we're trying to do. We're trying to preach Jesus because if you can see Jesus for his supremacy and his sufficiency and his beauty and his majesty, man, I'm telling you what, your life will begin to get transformed as you begin to see him for who he truly is. Christocentric preaching is important, but can I tell you what's more important? Christocentric living. That's what's important. It's not just Christ-centered communication. It's not just Christ-centered proclamation. It's Christ-centered living. Is that when our lives are built in such a way that Jesus is at the center. Notice that, that Mary and Joseph are not at the center. Notice that the Magi, they're not at the center. Thank God that they showed up with gifts, but they're not at the center. Thank God for the shepherds, but they're not at the center. Thank God for the angels. They've been very key in this whole thing, but I'm thankful that they're not at the center. 
as I begin to really just ponder this and meditate on this idea, here's what I, I begin to think in my mind. I Me and a, a buddy were talking about this the other day. He's a pastor over in the East Bay. So the reality is, is a lot of times we live our lives as Christians with Jesus on, the, uh, on that peripheral edge. He's just an add-on to our life right? This is the Western Christian kind of world that we live in, is that Jesus is a part of our life because we've prayed a prayer of salvation, and we've invited him to at least be in the snapshot, in the scene. Jesus, you can be a part, but I don't know necessarily that, that you're to be at the center. Jesus, you're, you have a place, but I don't, I don't know if it's actually in the center of the scene. I think what we do a lot of times is we begin to reorder and restructure our lives in a way that don't reflect the original nativity scene. I think it looks a little bit different, and I want to illustrate it for just a moment. Uh, there have been people that, that have, uh, over the years, talked about something similar like this, and they say that each person or each thing represents a different thing, that sometimes we can live uh, with that at the center of our life. And so I'll just give you some of my, uh, my thoughts. I think sometimes what's at the center is, is uh, we'll put Mary and Joseph right here at the center. This represents family, where I think this sounds so noble, doesn't it? We're, we're fa family first. How many of you ever heard that one? We're family first. It sounds so good, right? right? We're, we're, the centricity of our lives is that family is priority. Should be. Listen, I prioritize my family. I love them. But my wife's just not first. My kids aren't first. Is that the way I try to live my life is that Jesus is first. Is that Jesus is preeminent. Girl, you know I love you. But she's not at the center. The way that I'm trying, at least trying to live my life, is that Jesus is at the center. And so what a lot of times we do is we, we make family the center of our life. And, 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 and I'll even say this, and this is to make no one feel guilty, but like this is just for us, what we feel like God's called us to do with our kids. Right now, we, we, our kids, like they're into athletics. They love athletics. And so they're always playing either soccer or basketball or football or whatever. They're playing something always. Well, Recently, we had an opportunity where our son was invited to be a part of a league. And this league was, was going to be on Sunday mornings, and it was going to take him away from being a part of this experience here. And I remember we sat down and we talked with him, and he was, t he was totally good. He was totally fine with this. We said, you know what? Football is important or basketball is important, whatever it was. We said, you know what's, what's really important is our relationship with Jesus. And so we're going to prioritize this, and we believe God will honor that. Now, that's not to make you feel guilty. That's just what we feel like God's called us to do. And it's not about church. It's, it's for us, it's what this represents. This represents more than just an event on a Sunday or going to something or going through a religious motion. It's saying this, Jesus, you're at the center. We're facing you. You're more important than sports. You're more important than athletics. You're more important than anything else. Jesus, you're important. We want to teach our kids that. Jesus, you are a priority to our, in our lives. But a lot of times we can, we can make family, family at the center of our lives. And, and they should be important, but they shouldn't be the center. I think another thing that we do oftentimes, I'll move this cover here. I almost broke Joseph's head just then. Sorry, Joseph. Another thing we'll do is, is, is we'll put, we'll, we'll take the Magi. He's got a little gift in his hand. We'll put the Magi right here. Um, the Magi simply, if you look it up, they were Persian astrologists, right? Um, they, were, they were very wise. They got the name wise men because they were very intellectual, very smart, very wise, um, you know, really a focus on education and uh, really a focus on, 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 on intellectual ascent. And so what I think they represent to me is this, is that we can, we can really begin to focus heavy on, on things like, like 
our knowledge and what we know. And, and that could even be about theology or it could be about things in the world. And we just, we, we begin to just focus on, on I just want to learn, I just want to grow, and I just want all these things. And that, that's important. I want you to hear me out. That is important. But whenever everything is about your learning and about your intellect and about your understanding and, and all that, and that becomes the center, we'll even say things like this. Right now, I'm just focused on my education. I can't tell you how many times as a, I was a college pastor, I would have college kids that they would tell me all the time, you know, right now, it's just very busy. I'm focusing on my education. And they would distance themselves from being a part of a church family or they would distance themselves from spiritual community. And a lot of them, they would say, man, I'm, I'm spending so much time studying and focusing on my education. I don't have any time to spend with God. I don't have any time to read my Bible. And I remember I would talk to them I'm like, no, 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 you, you've allowed the center to be shifted and the Savior is no longer in the center. And now your education's in the center. Your education's important, but what's the most important is Jesus. But it's so funny. We can move that around, right? I think another one is this. We'll put, I like, I like sheep. We'll put the sheep in the middle. Right? We'll give you a little friend right here too. Put you right here. In, in, in this ancient Eastern culture, uh, your animals represented your possessions, your wealth, right? It, it, now it's like, what car do you drive? What, how big is your house? Whatever. It's like, how many donkeys do you have? Right? It's like, that was the thing, right? Oh, you mean, he's got a thousand cattle. Whoo, he's rich, right? It's possessions. It's wealth. It's, it's, it's what we possess. It's the car. It's the house. It's the clothes. A lot of times this is connected to our, our image, the way that people perceive us. And this can, a lot of times can push Jesus to the outside and what's at the center is what we possess and what we own. And the things that we own begin to own us. And that becomes our chief pursuit. That becomes preeminent in our life. And it's at the center of our life. I think another one, we'll move these guys right over here. We'll face you right there. We'll give your friend right here. I think another one is, is this right here. We'll get the, the shepherd. We'll put the shepherd right in the middle. This looks so awkward, doesn't it? When you begin to put these things that should not be in the center there. I think our life looks awkward as well. Just saying. Whenever we do this, the shepherd, this represents, he's holding his shepherd's staff. This is, his, this is a laborer. He was laboring in the field when the angels found him. This is where we're just focused on our career. We're just focused on our job, and we're just so, like, our job is everything, and building our resume, and, and making sure, you know, I'm going to work at this place and kind of climb the corporate ladder and get to this and this because I want to have this on my resume and build out my, you know, and, and our focus is our job, and our job is everything. Our job becomes a center of our life, the focus of our life. It consumes our time, our energy, our passions, everything it becomes. I think this is like, welcome to San Francisco, right? But here's another one for you right here. I'll move this guy over here. And then this one looks really awkward when you do this. This looks spiritual. This looks very spiritual because it's an angel. But, it's, but the angel's never supposed to have been in the center. Here's what the angel, I think, represents. I think it represents religion, and it represents a false spirituality. It's so funny. Hey, I love it in San Francisco when I start talking to people, and then it comes out that I'm a pastor, you know, and, and they look at me like I'm an alien. And, uh, and, then, and, then, and then this is what people always say to me. They go, you know, I'm not a Christian, but I am spiritual. Anybody ever heard that before? Hey, that is us in SF. It's like, you know, I'm not really religious. I'm not spiritual. Or I'm not into Jesus or God or church or religion and those things. But I'm very spiritual. Very spiritual. I think this is it. It's when, when, when either a false spirituality becomes your center or 
when religious activity and religion becomes your center. When it's about the do's and the don'ts and I, I, I dress a certain way because I'm a very spiritual person, I act a certain way, I talk a certain way, and you have all these moral imperatives that you're aligned with and you're living this clean, nice, moral, put together life. And, and here's the problem with all this is if Jesus is not the center, Jesus is not the savior. You see, anything that we put in the center becomes our functioning savior. You see, when work is the center, work becomes our validation. Work becomes our identity. Work becomes our savior. When possessions are at the center, possessions become our savior. When our work is at the center, it's our savior. When our family's at the center, that's our savior. But here's the problem, is you're only as strong as your center. What happens when you lose your job? What happens when you lose the car? What happens when you lose someone in your family? What happens when they walk out on you? What happens when everything that you've built your life around and on begins to crumble? You're only as strong as your sinner. And the nativity scene, Christmas reminds us that the only person, the only thing that deserves this place is Jesus. Is we put Jesus in the center of our lives. Because when Jesus is at the center of our lives, it influences and impacts everything else in our lives. What does it look like when Jesus is at the center? It's more like this. It's, it's, it's not like a, he's at the top of the list and everything else is secondary. It's more the picture of like a bicycle wheel. Is there's a center and there are spokes that all touch every part of the wheel and that's what makes the wheel spin. But all the spokes they are connected to the center. And the, the, the center, it influences every single spoke. And so when Jesus is at the center, listen, his definition and his desire for every area of your life should be influenced and impacted. That's the supremacy of Jesus, the centrality of Jesus, the centricity of Jesus. When he is at the center, he influences the way we go to work. He influences the way we interact with our family. He influences the way that we see our finances and our possessions. When Jesus is at the center, he gets to say, we don't. When Jesus is at the center, everything is impacted and influenced. The reality is, is this is what I do. I, got, I asked my son to help me with my sermon. He helped me write it. And he's nine years old. He's a better preacher than me. But I said, I need something to represent dad. Whenever, you know, I was like, oh, we're going to have the nativity scene. We're going to take Jesus out the center. And he looked at me like, you're going to do what with Jesus? He's like, we're going to take Jesus out the center, just as an illustration. But I need, I need something to represent dad. And so uh, we're going to remove Jesus. And then we're going to, I want you to see this. He found a guy with a lot of muscles. <laughs> I said, we're going to put dad at the center. Dad's right there. I mean, this is how awkward it is. If you walked into someone's house and saw this, <laughs> this is so terrible. So sacrilegious. This is terrible. Essentially, when you put all those other things at the center, here's what you're really doing, is you're putting yourself at the center. Is that life is really about me. It's not about Jesus. It's about me. It's about my comfort. It's about my pleasure. It's about my enjoyment. It's all about me. We're, we naturally, because we're, we're humans, because we're all broken, we all have certain propensities, listen, we naturally all drift towards taking Jesus and pushing him out and making ourselves the center of the whole show. The whole thing can become about us. What am I, what am I telling you today? Hey, this Christmas, let's just, let's just take ourselves out. Maybe we should just put our, take ourselves out of the picture totally. And we should take Jesus 
and just put him right back here and say, Jesus, I'm placing you in the center, not just of Christmas, but in the, in the center of my life. You can have your way in any area of my life. Now, listen, this is very practical. I want, I want to invite you to do this. I want to invite you to, to give Jesus permission, to give him permission to speak into every area of your life. It breaks my heart recently. I've had conversations with people where God can have a say in different areas of their life, but there's a few rooms in their life that are off limits. I want to encourage you today as just the pastor of this church. I'm not a big deal. I'm just a guy that naturally pushes Jesus out that I'm learning to keep pulling him back in. But my encouragement to you today is this, is let's bring Jesus back to the center of our lives. And say, Jesus, you can speak into any area. You can do anything that you want to do. Jesus, you are supreme. Jesus, you are everything. Let me give you this, this verse of scripture, and I'll, I'll begin to conclude. I love over in Colossians chapter. Um, do you have Colossians chapter? There you are, chapter 1. I love it. It says he, speaking of Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and by him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in Everything, everything, everything. The heading here, Paul calls it, is the supremacy of Christ. Listen, give Jesus everything because here's what happens. If, if the sinner is what determines your strength, can I encourage you with this? Is Jesus is stronger than any of the things that you've tried to make be the center of your, your life. And if he's the center, it doesn't matter what gets taken from you, what gets shaken in your life when he is the center you will be strong. Amen? Amen. Come on, why don't you bow your heads with me? We're going to pray. I was thinking last night about when I was about 18 years old, my life had become so dark. And it was because I had taken Jesus out of the center. I moved him to the edges of my life, and truth be known, I took him completely out of the frame and the reason why is because I was disappointed by a lot of people, disappointed by my, my earthly father, disappointed by even God, disappointed by Christian leaders and figures and the church. And so because of my disappointment, I began to just push Jesus out and anything that represented Jesus. And I began to just really put different characters in the center of my life to try to find fulfillment and satisfaction and peace and joy. I put relationships in the center. I put substance in the center. I put validation and approval from other people in the center. I began to put so many other things in the center. And what I found was this, is that none of them would suffice. And that every one of them they didn't actually, they didn't add any value to my life. They actually just took value from my life. And finally, there was a moment where I think my days got so dark that I realized that I was, I was desperate 
and that my plan was no longer working. And I remember being at my mom's apartment in a, on a dark night. I walked up into a room by myself in the darkest moment of my life. I wanted to give up. I wanted to take my life. And it was in that moment I got down on my knees and I began to just pray a simple prayer. And I asked for the light, the light of Christ to shine in my heart. And in that moment, I made Jesus the center of my life. See, Savior and Lord, they're synonymous. Jesus doesn't just want to save you in some one moment, but he wants to, to be your Savior, and your King, your Lord, and he wants to rule and reign in your life. And that night, I said, Jesus, I want you to take the lead in the center place in my life. I gave my life to Jesus, and it was like the lights got turned on. My life didn't become perfect. My life didn't all of a sudden become easy. But now I had a new center, a new strength. I had peace and hope. And today, with every head bowed and every eye closed, let me just ask you this question today. Who's the center of your life? What's at the center of your life? Is it Jesus? Is it your family? Is it your friends? Your job? Who is at the center of your life? Today, there's an incredible opportunity that you have, and that's simply to do this, to say yes to Jesus, to give your life to him. He doesn't promise that it's going to be perfect when you walk out of these doors. He doesn't promise that life's going to become all of a sudden easy and you're gonna, all your problems are going to get fixed. But when he becomes the center of your life, he will give you strength for this life. He will give you a hope for your eternity. He'll give you grace to walk through whatever you're walking through. Forgive you of your sins. He'll give you a fresh start and a new beginning. This is Jesus. This is why he came. He came to save us from our sins, to save us from ourselves. And the Bible says we just put our faith and trust that he is the Messiah, the promised son of God. Today, if you find yourself in a dark place, I want you to, to do what I did. Just pray a simple prayer like this. You don't have to repeat, repeat this. It's just a simple prayer like, Jesus, I give you my life. I ask you to forgive me for placing other things in the center of my life. Today, I make you my focus. I give my life to you. Be the center of my life. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Join us each week here on the podcast or live in San Francisco. Keep up with life at Sozo by following at Sozo Church SF on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Have a great day.